And we appreciate all that our law enforcement do, putting their lives on the line. And, and we've had several through the years that uh, have been currently involved in law enforcement here. We have some retired, and uh, my, myself, I myself used to be a deputy sheriff in Texas for a few years. So I appreciate the work that they do, and we, want to, we don't want to uh, uh, point them out today, if, but we want to pray for them and their families and acknowledge how much we appreciate them. So I've asked Pastor Harry to come, and he's going to lead us in a prayer and a thanksgiving for all those who serve us in this way. Thank you. Uh, the men's ministry had an awesome week this week delivering what the law enforcement people call power pills to the, our state troopers and the uh, Wasilla Police Department. So we want to thank all those and remind everybody that the donuts that are out on the desk are for, for everybody. So there's 144 of them out there. There should be enough for at least one for everybody. Let's bow. Lord, Father God, Thank you for the men and women of law enforcement. Thank you for the job that they do, the thankless job they do, the hours they put in, the stress their families go through, Lord. What it must be like to have a member leave the home and the spouse say, I'll see you tonight, and the stress that that must be under when they know their lives are in harm's way. Lord, we build a hedge of protection around them at this time. Build a hedge of protection around them. We ask, Lord, that you protect them, that you give them wisdom and knowledge as they must make split-second decisions, Lord. This includes everyone from our federal law enforcement to the corrections officers that put their lives on the lines and the men in blue that are out on the streets protecting us. Their motto is to protect and serve, Lord, so we would ask that you protect them so that they can protect us. We say this and ask for their blessings in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Harry. We're very honored and blessed today to have a special guest. Dr. Carol Alexander is with us today. And most of you probably know that this week begins the Holy Spirit Conference in Anchorage at Muldoon Assembly. It begins tonight. And... Uh, Dr. Carroll is one of the main speakers at this conference this week, and the district was uh, honoring us by allowing us to have her today to speak to us. She serves alongside her husband, who is the president of uh, the North Trinity, Trinity, I'm trying to think, Trinity Bible College in North Dakota, or North Dakota, yeah. And uh, they also have served in, uh, in the same position of leadership in, in uh, the United Kingdom. And they're originally from South Africa, so you will love her accent. So give her a great welcome from Summit today and let her know that we appreciate her. Thank you, Doctor. Good morning, and it is a joy and a privilege to be with you this morning. So I enjoyed the worship that we shared together. It's wonderful that um, wherever we go, we feel part of God's family. I've never been to, this is my first time to Alaska, your beautiful state, and um, it's wonderful to feel just at home here amongst all of you. I don't know you, but I feel very much at home um, as we've worshipped together. Just a little bit about me before I start. My husband and I have been at Trinity Bible College now for almost eight years, and we've seen God do some remarkable things 
in the last eight years. We have a growing, thriving, vibrant body of students. We've started a graduate uh, program at Trinity or a number of graduate programs. So we have over 90 uh, students in our graduate programs. And we are just very grateful for all that God is doing in the um, little state of North Dakota. I've brought along some of my books with me. I entitled my book Wild Hope. It's a memoir. And um, there was a lot of emphasis on that word hope because I think the way we understand hope is, you know, it's wish, we wish, but we're not sure. But the Bible speaks about hope in a very different way. It speaks about faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So it's far more than just wishing and holding your breath, hoping that it'll happen. It's the evidence of things not seen. And um, that's why I called my book Wild Hope, because our lives, my husband and my life, our family's lives, have been so filled with hope-filled miracles, amazing, incredible miracles. And the story starts with me, a young girl growing up in the country of South Africa, um, in December, that's the Southern Hemisphere, it was a bright sunny day um, in the 80s, and I was hanging up washing with my mother on the line outside, and um, our family were not Christians, we were very nominal, we went to church occasionally, but we were not particularly God-fearing people, And um, although my family were good people, and um, I was hanging up washing, and I suddenly heard a voice in my head which intuitively I knew was God. And the voice just said, your little sister who was two years old is drowning in the pool. And I thought, I can't turn to my mom and say, God just spoke to me and told me my sister's drowning. So I just said to my mom to alert her, where is Tracy? And my mother said in a very nonchalant kind of way, oh, she's with your sister in the dining room. And I wanted to scream, she's drowning in our pool. And um, I did as my mom said, ran into the dining room, ran straight back, said, she's not there, mom. And my, um, my mom made her way towards the pool and came out with this limp and lifeless body of my little sister. He was just two years old. And that's the story, and that was the start of our journey um, into the Christian life and Christian faith. Some wonderful other stories. One of the stories that takes a a large portion of the book, in fact, over three chapters, is the story of my 22-year-old son, who we were at that time living in North Carolina. He was attending um, a college up in the north, and uh, he'd come home just for a few months in the summer, and he went out one morning, said goodbye, see you in a while, mom, and um, I went off shopping, came back, and was unpacking groceries, and the front doorbell rang, wondered who was at the door at this time of the day, went to the door and there was a big burly policeman standing there and I thought he was getting collecting money. I just thought he's here to get money for the force. And so I opened the door with a big smile and he looked at me and he said, are you the mother of Jason Alexander? And I looked at him quizzically. I said, yes. Does he drive a black Mustang? I thought, oh, has he got a, a speeding ticket? We just moved to the States and I thought maybe when a boy gets a speeding ticket, they come and tell the mother. They dob on him. It's like, you've got to know what your son's been doing. So I looked at him and I said, yeah, he drives a black Mustang. And then he said words that I guess no mother ever wants to hear. He said, your son has been involved in a very, very tragic accident and you need to get to the hospital basically to say your goodbyes. And at that moment, my world collapsed. 
But even in that moment, there was a scripture that stood out to me. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. And I knew that God knew about that moment. I didn't, but God did. And that he would sustain me and keep me through what, however this journey went. And the journey was long. Um, Jay was hit by a 65,000-pound truck going at over 60 miles an hour. It was rammed into the side. And then the, the truck still had enough energy to land on top of his car. And he was inside that car. And, um, and it pushed him the length of a football field. He had every injury known to man. The first one, a ruptured aorta, which, if you know anything about, is there's a 1% survival rate for, from a ruptured aorta. And of that 1%, there's only 1% of people that get off an operating table. That was only one of his injuries. He had a ruptured liver, ruptured spleen, rib went through his heart, came out again. Just a, 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 he was a G3. Anybody here who knows medicine knows that that's basically dead. No breathing, no pulse, no visible sign of life. And that's how long nightmare began. And the stories there, they're all the details and a story of amazing opportunities, God moments in the ward, unbelievable moments where everything got worse and worse and worse, and it seemed like things couldn't get worse. He had three strokes uh, on the third day. He got the staph infection. He got pneumonia. He got everything. Just it was went from bad to worse, and um, and the story there is told in full. They told us that. First of all, we, Jason would never leave hospital. And then maybe if Jay did get out, it, we needed to get ready for a year's journey in the hospital. Six and a half weeks later, we took Jay out of hospital. And the stories there of the wonderful and amazing story of my daughter on the first night laying her hands in his shoes and saying, God, please let my brother walk in these shoes again. And I've us been told that he would never walk again. And today, Jason lives a completely independent life in California, and God gave him back to us in a very miraculous way. So that's one of the stories in the book. Another story is how God led us to Trinity, North Dakota. I'm a South African girl. I grew up in the sunshine. I grew up in, in the tropics. Why would God call a South African girl to North Dakota? It was not on my bucket list. That was the last place on my bucket list. But God called us there, and God's done some amazing things there. And it's a wonderful story of God giving me a vision while I was still in England. We were presidents leading a, um, the only Assemblies of God college there. God gave me an amazing vision and of how that vision came to pass. So that's my book. They're going for, uh, at the end of the service, I'll be at the table. They go for $15 each. And I do have the little swipey thing if you, if you have a credit card or I can take cash and, um, and checks as well. So, But this morning I'm here to preach God's word to you. And I, I can see you people who love the Lord. And so if you would open your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. And I'm going to read a fair portion of the scripture so just follow along with me from verse 30, and then I'm going to read through to verse 33, but I'm going to speak a little bit further from that passage and try and expound the text. So Mark 6, 30 through to 40, 44. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. 
Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching many things. By this time it was late in the day. So his disciples said to him, this is a remote place and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages to buy something for themselves to eat. Now remember, they were tired before this began. They were already tired from their journeys. They'd been journeying around, sharing the gospel. They're already tired. Jesus says, come, let us find a quiet place. You need to rest a while and get something to eat. And then this large crowd comes and they minister to them. And the disciples say, come on, Lord, let's send them away. They need something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, and Philip actually says in, in, um, in John's Gospel, chapter 6 and 7, we, verse 7, we know it's Philip who says this, that would take eight months of a man's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. And the other version says, two small fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. Don't you love the fact that they actually say that the grass is green, the green grass? So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the loaves, the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. You know, what I love about this passage is that wherever Jesus is, crowds will gather. Wherever Jesus is, when people know Jesus in a, is in a place, people will gather. And as soon as people knew that Jesus was coming, they ran ahead of him to get there so that they could meet with him. People actually don't want any more celebrities. We've had our fill of celebrities. We don't want any more orators. There are enough of those around. We don't want and we don't need any more powerful people. What we need is what these people needed 2,000 years ago, and that is Jesus. That is what they needed. They needed Jesus. And what they also needed was they needed people who had compassion and people of character. That's what people are looking for. They're looking for this compassionate heart. You give us something to eat. You care about us. You look after us. 
Um, the disciples say, come on, Lord, it's time to go. And I can understand that. They're exhausted. They've been on the roads ministering. Before they even started this particular event, they were tired and ready to go to a quiet place. Now Jesus has gone on teaching. They're all exhausted. They want to send the crowds away. And Jesus says, nope. Yep, I know you're ready to go. I know you're tired. I know you're thirsty. I know you need sleep. But this is it. These people are sick. They're hungry, they're needy, they're blind, they need something. You give them something to eat. That, that's amazing to me because the first directive Jesus gives is he says, you give them. You give them something to eat. And Philip, Philip was the, the financial guy. He was the guy that checked the Dow Jones and the... S&P 500 index. He, he was the money boy. He, was, he knew what was going on. And he knew that this was an impossible, from a human perspective, an impossible task to ever perform to feed 5,000 people. And they weren't even counting the women and the children. They weren't among the number. They were not there, and they get neatly put into the groups. I love everything about Jesus, because Jesus is ordered. Jesus is organized. He puts them into groups of 50, so that the disciples will know where to go and how to feed these many, many people. And then he says to them, what do you have in your hands? What have you got? You know, you give them something to eat. And, and they look around, and they go, well, uh, Jesus says, go and find how much we've got here. And they come back, and here's the story. It's five little loaves, which you could put in your hand. They're these little, these little round flatbreads. You could fit it in your hand. And two small fish. Now, if the Bible says they're small fish, they must be small. Because no man ever calls a fish small. Have you ever seen a man who goes fishing? And he comes back and he says, you should have seen what I caught today. It was humongous. I know because my husband doesn't do a lot of fishing, but he was in Canada a year ago with a friend of ours from Australia and another friend um, up in North Dakota, and they went fishing in Canada. And my husband said, Love, I caught my fill in the first hour. He said, you should have seen the size of those fish. Man, they were, they were huge. And when I did see the fish, they were big, but they weren't as big as he said. Because men don't say they caught small fish. So when the Bible says a small fish, it was a small little fish. I mean, this was enough for a little boy's lunch. He needed two of these little things, two little fish. You know, I, it, that, that's the story about Moses as well. When, when God said to him, go, the first thing he did was say, but I haven't got anything to give. He didn't see what was already in his hands. He saw what he didn't have. And aren't we all like that? Aren't we just all like that? We don't see what God has given us. We see what we don't have. And that's what they saw that day. They just saw this amazing lack. They just saw the sea of faces. I mean, I can just imagine those disciples absolutely 
freaking out. Because do you know that the miracle actually happened in the disciples' hands? Miracles happen in your hands. Jesus is there, but Jesus asks for your hands and your life through which to do the miracles he does. He asks us to use our hands. That's a humbling thing. Jesus prays the prayer. He says, thank you for these five loaves and these fish. They're tiny. It's a boy's lunch, and he's just a young kid. It's one tiny little boy's lunch. That's all they've got. And they just see the sea of people sitting in front of them. I mean, think about it. Most commentators would say there were probably about 20,000 people gathered if you counted women and children. They didn't count women or children in those days. They were amongst the nobodies, but there were 5,000 men. So imagine that, five small loaves. I mean, we read that story so regularly, but when you actually stop to think of the miraculous thing that happened on that day, it's phenomenal. And Jesus puts it in their hands. He divides it amongst the 12. And I imagine Peter looks at this, And he's got a piece of fish that size. And he's got a little piece of bread in his hand. And he turns around and he looks and he sees a man there. The man is huge. He looks like an empty fridge. He says, I've lost this battle already. How can this battle ever be won? Look at it. And then as Peter and the other disciples begin to give out, they see the miracle of of provision. They see how this is multiplying, this incredible miracle of multiplication. And the more they give, the more there is. And the miracle just keeps growing and growing and growing. And it's growing in the hands of the disciples. And I can imagine, you know, Peter, I love Peter. He's one of these impulsive, puts his foot in his mouth all the time, says the wrong things. He's always doing what he shouldn't do. But I can imagine his excitement as he's there seeing this amazing miracle occur before his very eyes. What an amazing thing. You know, I look at it and I can, I can truly imagine how Moses felt. I can imagine how Peter felt because I know how I feel. And, I, you know, I read a story of Jesus. People love using their imaginations, but I love this imaginative story in heaven. And he arrives in heaven and the angels say to God, what now? I mean, what's going to happen now? And Jesus takes out a photograph and he shows the angels a picture of the 12. And the angels look and go, those boys? Those boys? This isn't good, Lord. This is not, this is not, this is not a good plan. And you know what Jesus says? I have no other plan. You are his plan. You. You are his plan. And this is what he says. You give them to eat. Me? Who am I? Who am I, God, that you should use me? Isn't that the pastor's job? Isn't that the elders? Isn't that great leaders? No. 
It's everyone's job. It's a job for the church of Jesus. If you love Jesus, you are his disciples. He calls you. He calls you by his Holy Spirit to give him to you. This is not in your strength. This is in the strength and the power of his Holy Spirit that he, we do what he's called us to do. That we wake up in the morning, every morning, and we say, what exciting thing have you got for me today, God? What exciting thing. It's like getting up in the morning and jumping out of bed and saying, whoopee-ding, I'm alive. Another day to live. Whoopee-ding, I've got another day to serve Jesus, to serve his plans and his purposes, because he has no other plan. You are his plan. You give them to eat. That is what he said. You are his plan. I read a story of um, Hudson Taylor, he was a missionary from England, and because I lived there for many years and studied there, I'm well acquainted with some of the British missionaries. He was a wonderful missionary who went to China, and he did an amazing work for God. God called Hudson Taylor when he was a young boy, and the doctor said to his mother, you, you need to start getting something into this boy's head right now. He's not going to be a missionary. He is a sickly boy. He will never go to the mission field. But God had called him. God had called him to give the Chinese people something to eat. And Hudson Taylor went to China and he saw God do amazing things in China. He was on one of his journeys. He was traveling on a, a, a sailing vessel. And... Um, Everybody knew who he was and knew that he was a man of prayer and a man of God. And at one point, the captain came and knocked on his cabin. And Hudson Taylor went and answered the, the door and said, yes, sir. And the captain said, sir, um, from everything I can see from our instruments, we are heading for a cannibal island. Now, I don't know about you, but I know about me. I do not favor seeing myself being stewed in a big pot and eaten by cannibals. And that's what they're imagining. They're imagining the very worst. They were just drifting closer and closer to this cannibal island. So the captain said to Hudson Taylor, Sir, will you pray for some wind? And Hudson Taylor said, I will. He said, but before I do, go and set the sails for the wind. And the captain said... Sir, I can't do that. The men will laugh at me. There's not even a breeze outside. There's nothing. The air is so still. There is nothing. And he said, you don't set the sails for the wind? I can't pray. The captain went outside, and he set the sails for the wind. Half an hour later, there was a knock on Hudson's door. He opened the door, and the captain was there. He said, Sir, could you stop praying? We have more wind than we can handle. The wind had come in full force. And what I want to say to some of you this morning, and you need to hear it in the spirit, you need to set your sails for the wind. You need to set your sails for the wind. Stop sitting on your laurels and saying, God, look at me. I've got nothing to give. God, look at me. Set your sails for
for the wind because Jesus asks you today, you, you give them something to eat. It's incredible that Jesus then, he asks them this question, what do you have in your hands? And they find this little kid. Now, just there's some details in this text that we often go over very quickly, like green grass. I love the fact that they actually sat on green grass. But there are other details in the text that we, we sometimes don't see because we, we read quickly and we don't look at the text. I mean, can you imagine that little boy's mom preparing his lunch as she always did every day? Every day in the routine of life, she made that little boy's lunch, two little fish and five small little loaves of bread. Some of us hate the routine of life, but it's often in the routine of life that the miracle happens. The day-to-day, just being faithful, just being faithful, getting up in the morning and going to work, getting up in the morning and doing your devotion, getting up in the morning and praying the same prayers you've prayed year after year, it is often in the routine of life that God brings those incredible miracles. And I want to try ask you to keep trusting in the routine of life because Jesus is saying, what is in your hands? You have got enough ingredients in your hand for a miracle. She did not know that morning. She did not know that one little lady living in that land did not know that morning as she was making breakfast for her little boy that she was providing an ingredient for a miracle that would feed 20,000 people. What an amazing thing. One little woman standing behind a stove. One small insignificant boy who wasn't numbered amongst the people, who had no name. He was just the little boy. He was going to see with his eyes that day the mighty God that his parents knew, the mighty God that was there that day, and he was going to see the miracle that would come through his mother's Faithfulness in the routine, an amazing thing. What do you have in your hands? How many times we look at what we have in our hands? Do you do it? I still do it. Oh, God, am I really capable of this? Oh, God, I'm only a little South African girl. Can I really do this? And God says, I have empowered you by my spirit. This is not you on your own, friends. This is us working alongside the Holy Spirit. This is us joining in partnership with the Holy Spirit. What do you have in your hands? Whatever it is, you have the ingredients for a miracle. And if you sit here and say, yeah, but I'm ordinary, let me tell you, there was nothing extraordinary about this little boy. There was nothing extraordinary about the lunch that his mother prepared. But God took the ordinary and he did something extraordinary. When God called us to North Dakota, I have to be honest, we just come from the UK. 
and we were finishing up there, and we'd had a fantastic ministry there, and, um, and, and I kind of prayed this prayer. I said, oh, God, you know, I've lived in the dark, cloudy, gray sky, all the time rain, weather of the UK, so the next place, let it be Hawaii, and if it's not Hawaii, then, okay, Florida or California will be just good, because blue sky, I just prayed for white beaches and palm trees and coconuts and pineapples. That's all I needed. So I just put in my request for God, and then God calls us to North Dakota. And it's like, God, I, when my husband told us we got this invitation, I said, God, God, would, God would never do that. God is clever. He doesn't take people from the, the center of Europe to the Outbacks, and when, when, when they told me about Ellendale, North Dakota, I got a map, and I kid you not, I had to get a magnifying glass and find it, and it was still a pinprick on the map. I mean, a little town, a tiny little town. But what I love about it is God loves nobodies who go to nowhere places with nowhere names to do extraordinary things because he's God. And don't say... I don't have enough. I've only got this. What can God ever do with me? I don't have enough finance. I don't have the words to say, I'm not articulate. I'm not, I, I, I'm not an academic. Please don't say those things. Because God just says, what have you got in your hands? I'll take that and I'll use it. I'll use what you have in your hands and I'll do something extraordinary with it. <clears throat> There's a pastor in a church in South Africa, and his name is Ronnie Barnard. Ronnie Barnard went to Bible school because he had the most desperate desire to serve God. The only problem was that Ronnie Barnard stuttered like you have never, ever heard. He honestly could not get a word out. It was... It was painful to watch Ronnie Barnard. And Ronnie Barnard went to college and said, I'm going to be a preacher, preach God's word. And he applied to church after church, and church after church turned him down. And then one day, a church with about 20 people, most of them were very old and frail, invited him to the church. And Ronnie Barnard was on his way to the church for the interview when his college administration phoned the church and said, don't bother with this man. He will never, ever do anything in ministry. Ronnie Barnard did not have a whole lot in his hands. But what he did have, his in, have in his hands, he gave to God. It was little, it was pitiful, was small. Eventually, a small little church invited Ronnie Barnard to the church. And he went to the church. It was a failing church going absolutely nowhere. And within a year, that church was, had grown significantly. Let me tell you today, Ronnie Barnard has a church of 10,000 people in South Africa. Not only a church of 10,000, but churches around Africa. I believe, if I'm right, 
over 2,000 churches. And every time Ronnie Barnard gets up to preach, he preaches flawlessly without a stutter. Ronnie still stutters today when he talks to people, but when he preaches God's word, he's as fluent as anybody because Ronnie Barnard said, I don't have a whole lot to give, but this heart is pumping for you, Jesus. It's just two small little fish, Lord, and five tiny loaves, but God you can use them if you will. And he gave it to God. And God's done something extraordinary with somebody very, very ordinary. Jesus asked that question to you. He asked the same question, what do you have in your hands? He loves to take the ordinary and do something very extraordinary. So let me ask you a question. Are you thankful for what you have? Because one of the amazing things I find about the story is Jesus doesn't say, oh God, we don't have very much here. We only have five small loaves and two fish. Jesus says, God, thank you for your provision of five loaves and two fish. Do you look at what you don't have and say, oh God, I don't have much to give? Or are you thankful for what you have? Do you wake up in the morning saying, thank you, God, for what I have? Thank you, Lord, for another day. You've given me another day to breathe. God, I'm alive. I've got a day to live, another day to breathe your air, another day to be your child, another day to serve you. God, I'm alive. Thank you, God. What exciting thing can you do through me today, God? What exciting things have you got for me in this particular day? What can you do with your servant today? I know of a man who prayed that prayer, and, and, and he was at a little college, and, and he was speaking at this little college, and he, he said to them, please pray over me, please pray, and they prayed for him. And as they're praying for him, this one man prays the most ridiculous prayer it's a ridiculous prayer. He starts praying for John Smith down the road. And then he says to God, God, you know where he lives, off, high, off high, uh, Highway 21, whatever it is. Take the first left down the road, the little, um, the little house with the green door and the red gate. And the preacher's thinking, you're praying for me? And you're praying about John Smith? What on earth? And then he, he prays the prayer all over again. Well, the preacher preaches the message, and he, and he preaches a fairly good message, and then off he goes. And he's in his car, and he's prayed the prayer, what exciting thing can you do through me today? And he sees a man hitchhiking. So he thinks, well, this is wonderful. You know, when you've got a hitchhiker in the car, you've got an audience. They can't go anywhere. So he's going to tell him about Jesus. And he gets the dude in the car, and he's about to just tell him about Jesus. He says, my name's so-and-so. What's your name? And the guy says, my name's John Smith. And the preacher thinks, God, you are clever, so clever. Now, what were those directions again? He said, yeah, you're John Smith. And he starts, he takes the first exit, exit 121. The guy says, where are you going? He says, 
I'm taking you home. He says, how do you know where I live? He said, yeah, I know where you live, and you've just left your wife and your three children, haven't you? He said, I had one small, one very scared cookie plastered against that window of that car. Because I f forgot to tell you that that's what the guy prayed. He's just left his wife and three children. And he's, he's trying to remember those directions. Yeah, first left when you get off the highway. What was it again? Red gate, green door. Stops right in front of the... the he said, you go inside and tell your wife, I'm coming in to talk with you both in five minutes. He said, when I got in there, I could have told them the moon was made of cheese and they would have listened to me. He said, they, had, they were ready. He said, I led them to Jesus. And that afternoon, three little children came home to a home that was together again. And he said, today that man is serving God in ministry, and he's been in ministry for 25 years. What exciting thing can you do through me today, God? What, what did he have? Just his words. Just a willingness to let the Holy Spirit use him in the way the Holy Spirit chose to. Friends, I want to tell you, God's got exciting things for you. You've got the ingredients for a miracle right now in your hands. The only thing the Holy Spirit requires of you is to give him your willingness and your obedience. To say, thank you, God, for what you've given me. I choose to allow you to use me. Remember this, friends, God's dreams for you and your life will always be bigger than your dreams for you and your life. God's dreams are not small. God's dreams are big dreams for you, for your life, and for your family. I would be remiss if I did not finish the chapter. Let me just read a few more verses and end with some closing comments. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. When evening came, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. About the fourth watch of the night, he went out to them walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. It is important for us to just also glance at this section of the passage and to see some important things here. Let me just draw three little principles from this portion of the scripture I've, I've, I've read to you. Let me say this. There will always be storms in our lives. There's always going to be storms. 
There's no way that God promised you that life was just going to be one breeze when you came to Jesus. And if anybody did promise you that, they were lying. The Bible is full of the fact that we will face trials and tribulations. So let me just assure you that even with the miraculous, there are always storms. There will always be storms in our lives. They had forgotten that they'd gathered 12 basketful of leftovers, one for each disciple. Like that. Aren't we a bit like that sometimes? We see the miraculous, we see God do good things, then the storms come and they, they go out of our heads just as quickly. Let me draw another principle for you. The Jesus on the mountain is the same Jesus in the storm. He doesn't change. The Jesus on the mountain is exactly the same Jesus in the storm. Can I tell you what changes? Your perception. That's the only thing that changes is your perception. Our perception of Jesus changes oftentimes when we are in the storm. Because you just think of it. This was the same Jesus, but what did they see? They saw a ghost. That's what they saw. Their perception of Jesus was so distorted by the storm that they could not even bring to mind or recall the fact that he had just performed <coughs> an incredible, extraordinary miracle. But I want to tell you now, for those of you that are in the midst of a storm, the same Jesus that provided those loaves and fish and fed 20,000 men, women, and children is the same Jesus in the storm. <coughs> Keep your eyes on Jesus in the midst of the storm. Let me share you, with you one last little thing. A storm will always reveal who we are. Good times don't reveal the truth of who we are. It's the storms that reveal who we are and how we go through those storms. That's what reveals who we truly are. That's what reveals where our faith truly is. You think of Joseph. You think of him. One minute he's in a pit. The next minute he's in Potiphar's wife being accused of something that he never did. Then he's in prison. There were storms one after the other, challenges one after the other. But Joseph clung to a God that was faithful, to a God that had spoken to his heart and put a dream in his heart when he was a young boy. And Joseph held on to that. He held on to the fact that the God who had called him when he was a boy of 17 was the same God who was with him in the pit, was the same God who was with him when he was accused of something he never did, and was the same God who was with him when he was in prison. That God is your God this morning, my friends. That God is your God. 
What an amazing thing. He's your God. He loves you. He cares for you. He has a plan for your life. He wants to do amazing things in and through you. He wants to make this church bigger than you've ever dreamed or imagined. He wants to make it grow so that there won't be space for people to fill the chairs in here. That every single space will be filled with men and women because they see the greatness of the Jesus that you serve. I love what Colossians says. Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's Jesus in us that becomes the hope of glory to the world. It's the Jesus they see living in you. You have got the ingredients for the miracle in your hands right now. All you have to do is open your hands and say, here am I. Holy Spirit, here am I. Take me, use me, do with me as you will, and then watch and see the amazing things that God does with you. Stay true in the routine of life. Stay true in the routine of life, the mundane, ordinary days of life, because it's right in the midst of the... We often think God's going to move at the altar, and he does. God's going to move in a conference, and he does. But I want to tell you the most times that it ever happens are in the routine of life when you're just being faithful and keep on serving. Just one day, God moves in and does the miraculous. One day, he comes in and he takes all those ingredients and he puts them together and does something extraordinary through your life. All he asks is, will you give me those ingredients in your hand? And be thankful for what he's given you. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, your word is powerful. Your word is truth, God. And your word speaks to our hearts. And I pray that that is what it will do this morning, God. I pray, God, that it would speak to hearts today. I pray, God, that you would challenge our hearts and our lives with your word a simple word, a very simple word from, from your, your amazing book, the Bible, but powerful if we apply it to our hearts by your Spirit. And I pray everyone this morning would open up their hands in generosity and give you what is in their hands. I pray, God, that you would take every person here and do extraordinary things through their lives. Thank you, Jesus, for your promise that you are with us. We do not go alone. Your Holy Spirit is with us, accompanying us, guiding us, helping us, our teacher, our guide, our help, our comforter. Thank you for the precious Holy Spirit who enables us and gives us everything we need. I speak your blessing over the leadership of this church. I speak your blessing over the, the people that sit in this church, over their families, their sons, their daughters, their grandchildren. I just ask, oh God, that you would do phenomenal things in this place, for I ask it in the precious, the beautiful, the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen and amen. God bless you and thank you for listening.